This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to on dirty money moves are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. In the last episode, we discussed how Tara Lynn Lee was finally taken down by the FBI. Evidence of her schemes was found after the FBI searched Tara's house, which included multiple recorded phone calls and text messages that showed just how sadistic Tara could be. The FBI also discovered a second woman, Angelica Wiggins, who pretended to be a birth mother for Tara on several of those recorded phone calls. Both women were arrested on wire fraud charges. Due to their inability to follow bond conditions set by the court, both women were ultimately jailed until their trial. Much to the disappointment of many, however, there wouldn't be a trial. Both women eventually took plea deals for reduced sentences. Unbelievably, Tara turned down several deals offered by the government, claiming she'd rather go to trial. Tara's sentencing hearing was attended by dozens of her victims, many of whom traveled great distances to see her be punished. They sobbed while giving statements to the court about how Tara hurt them. Some of them even addressed Tara directly. It wasn't only adoptive families, birth mothers and fathers, people who had their children taken from them without their consent. They all made their voices heard. Victim statements were given for over six hours, each person demanding justice for their broken families. And Tara even spoke to the court. But would the judge be swayed by her emotional apology? From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season two, I'm taking you along as I look into a woman with an expensive taste for luxury jewelry and accessories who satisfied her desires by taking money from the vulnerable and disadvantaged. A woman who preyed on the hopes and dreams of hundreds of desperate people, destroying countless families for generations to come. A con artist of the worst kind, whose cruelty knew no limits. This is Episode 5, The Worst Case. In the months following Tara's arrest in January of 2019, more and more information about her scams came to light. There were many details about how she operated that weren't included in the criminal complaint or the indictment because they didn't reinforce the wire fraud charges. What the details did show, however, was just how evil and manipulative Tara had been. When it came to the real birth mothers Tara worked with, she seemed to target the most vulnerable women she could find who were susceptible to promises of monetary, psychological, and medical help. Tara worked with a lot of women who were unhoused or who found themselves in and out of the jail system. One of Tara's assistants, Chelsea Kaufman, 
who helped the FBI with the layout of Tara's house before their search warrant, heard about Tara while she was in jail. Another inmate introduced her to Tara, and Chelsea eventually put her baby up for adoption through Always Hope. According to Chelsea, Tara worked with a lot of women who were in treatment for heroin addiction too. And why heroin addicts specifically? Because Tara targeted local methadone clinics, where there was a constant supply of potential clients. I imagine it's like a drug dealer sitting outside the local high school. It was easy prey for Tara. She promised these women counseling and emotional support and dangled the idea that all of their birth expenses could be taken care of by an adoptive family. Of course, we know now that these women never got the counseling that was promised to them, and many times were left to fend for themselves during their pregnancies. Tara, meanwhile, was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on luxury jewelry and accessories. And if that doesn't completely piss you off, I'm sure this will. Much of the jewelry the FBI located inside of Tara's house still had the tags on. Tara didn't even care enough to wear it. It was all about the thrill of the scam. Other pregnant women didn't even want to give up their babies, but Tara made them feel like they had no choice. One such woman was Mariah Day, a birth mother who'd been good friends with Tara prior to her pregnancy. Mariah became pregnant when she was 19. Rather than support her friend in an authentic and caring way, Tara kept telling Mariah that she wasn't ready to be a mother, that adoption would be the better choice for the baby. Mariah trusted Tara, not only because they were friends, but because Mariah believed that Tara was a social worker with a lot of training. But Tara never counseled Mariah and wasn't there for her during the pregnancy. Mariah was never sure about giving up her child, and she struggled with regret for years afterward. Once Tara was arrested, Mariah got the courage to come forward and speak to the media about what happened to her in the hopes that Tara would be stopped for good. Mariah says Lee did not go to doctor's appointments with her, and she says Lee left her alone for much of her labor. Mariah says she's made peace with her decision to give up her daughter and now has a wonderful relationship with the adoptive parents. She says now she just wants Lee to stop hurting family. I want you to be buried under the jail because I don't kiss my daughter every night because you manipulated me into thinking that I was incapable of doing it and being a mother. Clearly, Tara's lies affected more than the adoptive families. She destroyed birth mothers and their families, too. While many of the birth mothers and babies in Tara's cons were entirely made up, there were real families mixed in with the lies. Women like Mariah, who were basically tricked into giving up their babies. These women struggle with the fact that their child is being raised by someone else, and they carry that pain the rest of their lives. Fathers weren't safe from Tara's deception either. Patrick McGee Sr. had shared custody of his son, Patrick Jr., along with the boy's mother, Darlisha Stewart. One day, in the summer of 2016, 
Patrick Sr. called Darlisha to set up a time for him to pick up their son. But Darlisha was cryptic about where the child was. After some back and forth and no straight answers, Patrick Sr. became concerned. He remembered that Tara Lee had helped Darlisha find housing in Detroit at one point, so he thought maybe Tara might know something about his son. Patrick Sr. searched Tara's name on Facebook to find her contact info, and he was shocked at what he found. Typed her name on Facebook. Boom, always hope adoption. I see my kid on the picture. I see my kid asking for clothes, shoes, and he gonna be here for a while. I instantly reached out to her. Like, hold on, these my kids right here. Here go my number, you need to contact me. Right there on Always Hope's Facebook page, Patrick Sr. saw his son along with his little half-sister in a picture. It was a post from July 23rd requesting clothing and shoes for the kids, who were house guests of the Lee family. Patrick Sr. immediately sent Tara a private message, leaving his phone number and telling her to call him right away. Her response? Tara blocked Patrick Sr. and never contacted him. Patrick Sr. called the police, and it was discovered that Tara had placed his son Patrick with a family in Mississippi. Nobody had ever contacted Patrick Sr. prior to taking the child. Now, his son Patrick was living in a different state with a new family who renamed him Theodore. For months, Patrick Sr. fought to get his son back. The process was torturous, He couldn't eat or sleep and was in a constant state of fear. After many court filings and hearings, Patrick Sr. was finally able to get full legal custody of Patrick and bring him home. Not surprisingly, young Patrick had a very difficult time processing the whole situation. Detroit's WXYZ investigative reporter Heather Catalo talked to Patrick Sr. about the situation. McGee ultimately went to court where he was awarded full physical custody of Patrick Jr. and the mother's rights were terminated. While he's grateful to have his son back home, he says Patrick is still struggling from that separation. It messed him up completely. My son came back thinking his name was Theodore because you all know the pain you put people in. Darlisha, the boy's mother, told Catalo that she didn't know she was giving up her children permanently. Tara had led Darlisha to believe that she would take care of them temporarily while Darlisha got a job. Tara's attorney at the time, Sanford Schulman, said that Tara didn't do anything wrong, that her name wasn't on any adoption forms. She was only an advocate. Tara purposefully didn't put her name on many of the adoption contracts for exactly that purpose, in order to claim innocence. It's not hard to recognize Tara's motives now, after all the information has come out and we have the whole disgusting story. Tara inflicted deep emotional wounds on hundreds of people. Here's FBI Special Agent Matt Sluss talking about the effects of those wounds in a 2021 interview with Heather Catalo for WXYZ-TV. Some of these women are literally being conned out of their children. When you start altering the course of a family and who's going to parent your child, that's going to that's going to ripple generationally. And as we'll talk about a little later in this episode, 
The judge handling Tara's sentencing couldn't have agreed with that more. On October 2, 2019, Angelica Wiggins accepted a plea deal during a federal court hearing in front of Judge Bernard Friedman. Angelica pleaded guilty to one count of felony wire fraud for assisting Tara in her adoption scams. As part of the guilty plea, Angelica admitted that in 2018, she told Tara she was pregnant and wanted to place her baby into adoption. She and Tara matched that baby to an adoptive family and received money from them. In reality, Angelica was not pregnant. She also impersonated several birth mothers in order to facilitate adoptions. She also referred other supposedly pregnant women to Tara and said they were interested in placing their children for adoption, and Tara paid her for those referrals. Angelica and Tara never verified that these women were pregnant, and they never confirmed that they were interested in placing their babies. Angelica agreed to be held accountable for fraud that caused a loss of at least $90,000. In fact, at one point, Angelica took over communications with an adoptive couple about her fake pregnancy and received payments from them directly. She even went so far as to supply the family with a fake proof-of-pregnancy document. In all, Angelica and her husband, Randy, personally obtained nearly $20,000 in criminal proceeds. Judge Friedman took all of this into account when he sentenced Angelica to 21 months in federal prison on March 2nd of 2020. She was also ordered to pay just over $106,000 in restitution. Upon release from prison, Angelica would be on three years of supervised release with a zero-tolerance condition. The conditions of that supervision included Angelica having to go through drug rehab and be employed full-time. Immediately following her sentencing, Angelica was placed into the custody of the United States Marshal to be transported to a federal prison facility. Tara Lee wasn't as willing to accept a plea deal. Who knows what her twisted thought process was, but Tara decided she'd be better off going to trial than taking a deal. On July 23, 2019, Tara officially told Judge Bernard Friedman that she rejected the offers from the government. Today was the cutoff date for Tara Lee to take a plea deal. Instead, she told the judge she turned down three plea offers and she's heading to trial. Dressed in an orange prison jumpsuit and with her hands and feet chained, Tara Lee came face to face with a federal judge today to officially turn down three plea agreements the feds had offered her. The government offered three different deals that required Tara to plead guilty to two counts of wire fraud and spend at least five years in prison. None of the deals were good enough for her. On top of her rejecting those offers, Tara's attorney even filed another motion to have her released from jail pending trial due to family concerns and to prepare for trial. Those motions were denied. A month later, Tara had a sudden change of heart, and on August 20th, she finally signed a plea agreement. Tara pleaded guilty to counts four and five of the indictment, both wire fraud charges, and a minimum prison sentence of eight years. 
all other charges were dismissed. In the agreement, Tara admitted that from 2014 to 2018, she knowingly defrauded people through adoption scams. She admitted to all of the conduct that was outlined in the indictment, making up birth mothers and babies, telling fake stories about babies or mothers dying, double-matching families to the same child, and working with Angelica. Specifically, as it related to counts four and five, Tara admitted that she made up the birth mother named Rashonda and collected thousands of dollars from an adoptive family for birth mother expenses for a baby that didn't even exist. Tara further confessed that she sent the adoptive parents a text message in April of 2018 that included a picture from an ultrasound she claimed was Rashonda's baby. Then, in June, she sent a text message saying, let's schedule a call for Tuesday to talk about birth plans. Your baby is due this month. Ten days after that text message, Tara called the adoptive parents and told them that Rashonda had been shot and killed, and the baby was dead too. In addition to wire fraud, Tara admitted that she had violated multiple prior orders from the state of Michigan by continuing to facilitate adoptions without a license. For sentencing purposes, Tara admitted that her schemes were sophisticated, and she agreed to be held accountable for causing a loss of at least $250,000. She acknowledged that her victims were vulnerable and that her actions resulted in substantial financial hardship. The plea agreement also included a forfeiture judgment that stated Tara had to hand over any property, real or personal, that was obtained from the adoption fraud schemes. Tara acknowledged that she personally received at least $266,750 in criminal proceeds from her scams, and she used a portion of those proceeds to make payments on her house on Redford Drive. The judgment ordered Tara to pay back the entire amount of criminal proceeds, as well as give up her interest in the house. She had to hand over any money from the sale of the property in order to help pay the total judgment. It seems likely that Tara could get a nice chunk of money for the house, considering its value increased after she upgraded the bathrooms and the kitchen with her victim's money. The final piece of the plea agreement stated that Tara waived any right she had to appeal her conviction on any ground. Also, she waived her right to appeal her eventual sentence, including any restitution order on any ground, as long as the sentence didn't exceed the high end of the sentencing guideline range, which was set at 121 months. These waivers, however, didn't affect Tara's right to file a claim of ineffective assistance of counsel in the future which I'm sure Tara kept in the back of her mind as she signed her name to the plea agreement. Six months after pleading guilty to wire fraud, Tara finally had her sentencing hearing. On February 26th of 2020, dozens of Tara's victims, some of her family and supporters and the press gathered inside of a federal courtroom. There were also victims who couldn't make the trip to Michigan, listening in on phone lines. Tara sat before Judge Bernard Friedman, along with her attorneys, Paul Stablin and Robert Higby. U.S. attorneys, Sarah Woodward and Maggie Smith, sat with FBI Special Agent Sluss as the hearing got underway. 
Judge Friedman had already been given a file with each of the victim impact statements, as well as letters of support for Tara and her own statement, all of which he had read and was ready to take into account when it came time to hand down a sentence. But first, he allowed several victims to speak to the court and address Tara directly if they wanted to. To start things off, U.S. Attorney Woodward began the government's comments. She started by saying that there was no way to cover everything that had happened, that the case was extremely complicated and highly unusual. Woodward expressed her belief that Tara's sentence should absolutely be the maximum set by the plea agreement, though in reality, Tara deserved a much longer sentence than her charges allowed. Woodward eloquently detailed how harmful and egregious Tara's actions had been. She spoke about all of Tara's prior convictions for fraud and her failure to comply with the state of Michigan when they told her to stop conducting unlicensed adoptions. How not only did Tara not stop facilitating adoptions, she had increased her numbers dramatically year after year. Woodward reminded Judge Friedman that Tara didn't even stop her involvement in adoptions when she found out she was under investigation by the FBI. She even solicited letters of support at that time. Tara still didn't stop when she was arrested, and then she engaged in witness tampering and involved her own daughter. Woodward explained to the judge that even though Tara submitted 23 letters of support to the court, Many of them were written before the FBI investigation concluded or were written only because the authors wanted a refund from Tara or were otherwise threatened with their adoptions not going through unless they wrote a letter. Woodward pointed out that many of the letters were sent from Tara's own email account, so it was impossible to know who wrote them. Plus, if people had been aware then of what Tara had actually been doing, they probably would not have written a letter for her in the first place. Woodward briefly talked about the fact that Tara lied to her victims time and time again, how she didn't provide the services she promised and kept much of the money intended for her clients and spent it on herself. Most importantly, Tara was not on the birth family side when they desperately needed her to be their advocate. In addition, there were real children involved in about two dozen adoptions. And now, Tara is a lifelong part of those families' adoption stories. Instead of having memories of love, support, and happiness, there was now a very dark and disturbing story forever attached to their existence. Woodward concluded her statements by revealing that Tara's scams involved at least 160 adoptive families, 70 birth mothers, and people from 24 different states. The first victim to address the court was Adam Bells Thomas. We learned in episode four that Adam and his husband Kyle had a successful adoption with Tara and had grown close to her. He told the court how Tara manipulated both of them into believing that she was being framed when the FBI investigation came to light and that legally she was allowed to keep helping them with their current adoption. Adam was one of the people who wrote Tara a letter of support 
before he knew the full story and realized she had been scamming them all along. Adam said that at the time, he couldn't fathom that Tara would lie and manipulate people the way she was accused of doing. He couldn't understand how Tara could have such disregard for her own family. Adam said that he understood now that Tara played mind games. She knew how to take someone who was down and lift them up. She knew how to strike just at the right moment. Tara had put Adam and his husband through so much stress and disappointment that their family suffered because of it, and they even considered divorce. It took years of therapy and medication just to get through it. Adam ended his statements by addressing Tara directly. He said, I hate what you have done to my family, and I hate that this is going to be a chapter in my life forever. Amber Mori, the woman we mentioned in episode three, who'd been matched with a birth mother named Stacy, told the court how she traveled from Arizona to Detroit for the birth of her baby after giving Tara money. Amber recounted how Tara assured her that Stacy wanted to go through with the adoption, even though Stacy's parents wanted to keep the baby. Tara allowed Amber to get on a plane and fly to Detroit only to ignore her when she arrived. Eventually, Tara told Amber that the birth mother had disappeared, that she hadn't checked into the hospital, and Tara didn't know what happened. Amber flew back to Arizona, sobbing, and couldn't bring herself to tear down the nursery she had set up for her baby. Amber expressed to the judge how the whole ordeal made her lose faith in the adoption process, how Tara had stolen a part of her heart, not just her money, She called for more regulation in the adoption world, and then she addressed Tara directly. Amber looked at Tara and asked, did Stacy even exist? Tara quietly responded, in my heart she did. I'm not even sure what a response like that was supposed to mean. Amber used it as closure. Now she knew the truth about her baby and she could try to move on. Patrick McGee Sr. told the judge how Tara took his son without his permission and placed him up for adoption in Mississippi, that Tara had made up lies about him being an abusive father in order to help facilitate the placement with another family. He described how his son was gone for four months and it destroyed his family. He spoke to Tara directly, saying, You tore us apart. I got my kid in counseling for everything that you put him through. Tara dropped her head but said nothing. One after another, victims told Judge Friedman about the heartache, depression, monetary loss, deceptions, manipulations, and in some cases, emotional abuse Tara inflicted on them. People spoke about how Tara befriended them, got close to them, and then ripped their hearts out. They expressed their beliefs that Tara was not a good person who'd lost her way but rather a cold, calculating con artist who knew exactly what she was doing. Many people demanded a change to adoption regulations so that predators like Tara Lee couldn't continue to destroy vulnerable people. Julie Falkenberry, Sarah Scott, Courtney Edmond, Mike and Teresa Matheny, they all made their voices heard. Teresa said Tara was disgusting, 
and called her a sociopath and a danger to society. Judge Friedman, it turned out, wouldn't disagree. But first, Tara and her attorney got a chance to speak. Paul Stablin, Tara's attorney, began by acknowledging that the case was extremely emotional and that he couldn't begin to understand or feel the pain of each of the victims. As far as sentencing, Stablin reminded the judge to consider that Tara was more than just the crimes that had been talked about over and over that day. She was a human being with failings, but who had a ton of support from family and friends. She was a mother and a wife with adopted children of her own. Stablin told the judge that Tara had at least three people who wrote letters saying that she took care of birth mothers, in contrast to the stories of mistreatment the judge had heard so far. Tara's attorney also asked the court not to forget that Tara had extreme remorse for what she'd done and took responsibility for her actions. Plus, she'd already spent a long period of time in jail while awaiting her sentencing. Stablin also offered the fact that Tara had accepted religion into her life, and he'd seen a change in her attitude since that time, along with her pastor, who submitted a letter to the court. He ended his statements by talking about how Tara had gone to Africa to bring children clothing and books, which showed that she was a person who did help people. He asked the judge to consider the lowest sentence possible. Then, Tara stood up and addressed the court. Tara thanked the judge for giving her the opportunity to speak and allowing each victim to be heard. She said, I think it's important that I hear every one of them and I take in all of their thoughts and all of their emotions. She went on to say, through tears, that always hope was her pride and joy because helping women who didn't have anyone else gave her purpose. Tara paused several times and apologized for crying. She said she loved the work she did with Always Hope, but that the last year and a half, she'd lost her way. She said she was unhappy and in too deep to stop, and because of her, people's dreams of becoming parents were crushed. Tara admitted that she'd gone on shopping sprees, but said she had done it in order to try to fill a void to hide all the pain and feelings that overcame her when things started to fall apart. Tara claimed she did the unthinkable once adoption fails started to happen, and she realized there was no money to refund because she had spent it all. Tara expressed that she had lost friends because of her actions, and her children had lost their home and didn't have their mother around. She said she was sorry for all the hurt she caused, but that regardless of her actions, each adoptive family and birth mother were important to her. She also told Judge Friedman that she had found God while she was in jail over the last year. And she came to realize how messed up she was, that she prayed every night for forgiveness from every one of her victims. Tara ended by saying she would do whatever she could to make amends and tearfully pleaded with the judge to show her mercy. Judge Friedman didn't waste any time. He told Tara that this was the worst case he had ever seen and she deserved life in prison without question. He said that Tara had ruined people's lives for generations, well beyond the people who spoke in court that day. 
The judge called Tara out on her apology, saying he heard remorse, but it was all about her, and what she had to say was awful and self-centered. The judge said, The bottom line is that the defendant in this matter is evil, and I have never said that before. It's true. There is no question in my mind that she is evil. He brought up her prior crimes to show a history and a pattern of selfish behavior, then mocked her for wanting him to believe that she lost her way this time around. He called her a predator, said that she knew exactly what she was doing when she preyed on each vulnerable person. The judge laid into Tara about how she violated their trust for no other reason than greed, how she involved her 13-year-old daughter in trying to change victim testimony, how she caused divorces and completely ruined families. He called her disgusting. Judge Friedman said that some of Tara's victims may have forgiven her, but it wasn't his job to do that. His job was to punish her. Though he wanted to send her to prison for life, he was bound by the sentencing guidelines that were approved in the plea agreement. Judge Friedman then sentenced Tara to the maximum he was allowed, 121 months, or just over 10 years. He also recommended that her sentence be served in a maximum security prison because he believed she was dangerous, that even in prison, Tara would find a way to be evil. The judge was so disgusted and upset with Tara that he included a highly unusual punishment. He ordered her to read aloud and record word for word every single victim statement by June of 2020. And she wasn't allowed to make any comments while reading them. And she couldn't miss even one word or he would make her do it all over again. And finally, Tara was ordered to pay over $1 million in restitution to her victims. Upon release from prison, Tara would be placed on supervised release for three years with a zero-tolerance policy. She wouldn't be allowed to use drugs, drink alcohol, or be in any place that had drugs or alcohol, including restaurants. In addition, she couldn't contact or communicate in any way with any victim either directly or through someone else, and she had to be employed full-time. And with that, Tara was led out of the courtroom to begin serving her sentence, and her victims could finally start trying to move on. WXYZ investigative reporter Heather Catalo caught up with some of the victims after the hearing, and this is what they had to say. I think just having the judge say that he would give her life if he could, it felt like he understood what we went through and how terrible everything has been. For all involved, not not just for us as hopeful adoptive parents, but for the birth mothers, for the birth fathers, for everybody involved. I agree with the judge. She should have got life. She should have got every single thing handed to her. Ten years, I mean, we'll take it. She's going to do something again anyway. The emotion that she showed in the courtroom was um, what we all expected it to be, which was fabricated. And so I'm, I'm just really relieved that he saw through that. Tara began serving her sentence at Federal Correctional Institution, Aliceville, a low-security prison located in Alabama. Would Tara be able to serve her time quietly and fulfill the orders given to her at sentencing? Or would she find her way back to the headlines? Next time on Dirty Money Moves... 
now a year after she was sentenced to a decade behind bars, a Macomb County mother is trying to get her conviction set aside. Kara Lee is claiming she had ineffective counsel for her guilty plea. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud 10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.